I titled the sermon, A Love We Did Not Earn and Cannot Lose. I want to share just a little about my dog to begin with here. I have a chihuahua. He is a, a chihuahua terrier mix, so he looks like a miniature deer. His legs are really long, and he prances when he walks. But he's tough, okay? He's a tough little chihuahua. We named him Remington, just to help with that, right? He's like my little, my little pistol. And, uh, but he has in him this, this chihuahua instinct. Whenever the windows are open on a sunny day, he finds where the sun is, and he goes and he lays in the sun. He loves the sun, and he basks in the sun. And I was just noticing him yesterday as I was sitting on the porch, just laying in the sun, stretched out, completely just enjoying the warmth of the sun. And it struck me, the sun is to my dog as the love is to the Christian. It is our experience as believers to bask in his love. Soak it in. Sometimes, friends, we get, we get so caught up in, in the Christian life. And, and yes, there are things that we are called to do and commands that we are called to obey. Absolutely. Nothing short of that. But there are moments where we just simply sit back and say, oh, oh, he loves us. He loves us. You don't have to do anything. Oops, I need a trip. You, you don't have to do anything to realize that. You just have to simply bask in that love. Today, I want to encourage us to that as we dig in these verses. Just Soak it up. Bask in his love. A love we did not earn and cannot lose. Romans 5, 6 through 11. Let's begin in verse 6. I titled these verses here 6 through 8, Love So Amazing, So Divine. And uh, let's begin here. This is, how it, this is how it unfolds. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, there's so many things in these verses just filled with gospel glory. This was the high point of VBS week couple weeks back, as we pointed the kids to this verse, Romans 5.8. If you have not memorized this verse, do so by the end of the day. It's very easy to remember. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's his love for us. It comes most potently on display in the death of Christ on the cross. While we were still weak. What does that mean? Why would he say it that way? While we were still weak. There's interesting things that are happening here because Paul is talking about us today, believers. While we, that's Christians, all who have placed their faith in Christ, while we were still weak. Hmm. 
you have these, these, these coming, this coming together of a historical event that happened over 2,000 years ago, and then your life today, and then your conversion experience when God saved you. They all come together as we study this today. So think of that as we move now. While we were still weak, weak in this, uh, in this word that he uses here, it means helpless or powerless. And we understand that, that the, the weakness that was ours was not just, um, you know, apathy or, or, or uh, we're just tired. It was a, a settled, chosen depravity, unwilling and unable to save ourselves. Our inability sits in our unwillingness. We are rebels at heart, haters of God. As Romans 1, 2, and 3 draws out with great clarity as we move to, through the book of Romans, we ourselves are unable to save ourselves, un, unwilling, ungodly, unworthy, and unrighteous. That is who we are. Left to ourselves, that is how we will stay. And happily so, in the dark, in our depravity. While we were still weak, this is how Paul builds this out. Weak, in a build out here, means dead. <laughs> Not just like feebly crawling around. No, dead. Listen to how he says it. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So not physically dead, but spiritually lifeless. We're walking around dead. We're dead men walking. We followed the course of this world, followed the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all in this room once lived according to the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because here comes the love. Listen to the connection again. Same gospel, just to the Ephesians now. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. While we were still weak, even when we were dead, he made us alive together with Christ. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. What does this tell us, friends? This, this means that God is not up there saying, listen, I've got, I've got some salvation for you guys, but you've got to make the first move. You come my way. You do your part, and I'll do my part. Listen, I've, I'm up here, and I've got this, this plan here, and it's all set and ready to go, but, but you, you have to start the sequence. It's not what God says. That's not in the Bible. <laughs> That's not the gospel. His love is shown in that he didn't wait for us to make the first move. We would have never made the first move. We couldn't, and we, we wouldn't want to. We were unable and unwilling. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for the ungodly, the unrighteous. The appointed time, think about this. Jesus could have arrived at any point in history. 
Have you thought this? I mean, God, God is a God who is sovereign over time. He invented it. He created it. He lives as he pleases in it and outside of it. At the same time, he enters in, he accomplishes, he sees all in one simple act. All time is, is in his view, always. And he ordained that the cross of Christ would happen when it did. One of the reasons I believe that is the case is because of the brutality of the Romans in crucifixion. God appointed the time, and that time involved a Roman instrument of torture that is one of the worst ways you could ever die. And he said, that's when I'm going to send my son. That's the appointed time. And this is the appointed way. He is the appointed sacrifice. Christ, at the right time, Christ. He didn't send an angel. He sent his son to die. And the appointed recipients. We've got to be reminded of this regularly. Christ died for the ungodly. That's us, all of us in this room. Categorically, everyone on the face of this earth, we are sinners. We are unworthy. We are ungodly. We don't deserve the love of God. We deserve His wrath, His justice. And yet we have received His love and His grace and His mercy. While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Now note, note this. He builds this out. He's going to have three of these descriptions. While we were still weak, Christ died. While we were still sinners, that's a build out on it. Just, just in case we're confused about what weakness is, weakness is sinners. And according to Ephesians 2, spiritually dead, lifeless, hostile sinners, enemies of God, Christ died for us. It's an undeserved love. I, I love verse 7 here. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person. Well, most commentators believe that that's one who kept the law. They did what was required of them. And ironically, there's no one on the face of this earth that's ever done that, except for Jesus. No one is actually righteous. No one keeps the law. And, and then Paul pits this against that. Well, there's the person who did what's required. And then perhaps for a good person, one would dare to die. I think what he means here is not just the one who does what's required, but goes above and beyond what's required. And, and does, he's, a, he's defined as a good person, not just upright according to the law, but even more so. You know, if, if you could find someone like that, well, maybe possibly someone would give their life in place for a person like that. But God shows his love for us, the unrighteous people, the ungodly, the not good people. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This love he has given us is an undeserved love. I love how Leon Morris said it. Jesus did not die for good people. It's one of the reasons why gospel proclamation is inevitably confrontational. It, it, it is going to in some way, shape, or form, offend the hearer. You can't remove the offense of the gospel. Sinners 
tend not to like being called sinners. <laughs> right? If, if, if you're living in the dark and you shine a light on someone, it hurts the eyes. Now turn that thing off. Get that out of here. I don't want my sin to be called out. I'm happy in my sin. Leave me alone. God loves us such that he comes in with the light of Christ and says, there's something far better than the dark. Jesus did not die for good people. He didn't die for people who were, who were clamoring for the light. We all collectively, as we saw in Romans 1, 2, and 3, we all collectively loved the dark, hated the light, and did everything we could to suppress it and deny it and ignore it and worship everything but the true God. Hmm. I love you. I want you to just think what this is like. I love you. Those, those three words are powerful, are they not? They may be the three most powerful words you could ever speak. I love you. I love you. Picture the God of all of the universe, the one that we have committed cosmic treason against over and over and over. And he comes through his son and he says, Doug, I love you. And he looks right through us, right? Carolyn, I love you. Jeremy, I love you. This is a love that is not deserved. It's not rooted in anything praiseworthy in us. It's completely denying all that we would expect. We don't expect this from God. It is the word agape. You've probably heard this word. It's a love, affection, a warm regard. And more specifically, it is, it is a, a love of the will. I choose to set my love on you. I know you don't deserve it. And I love you anyway. Whoa. That's God's love for us. In Christ. I love you. Jenny and I waited to say those words until we were engaged. And I, I'll never forget what that experience was like. Because I really did love her. I really did. That whole year that we were dating before we were engaged, I was dying to say these words to her. And I think I maybe have told you in the past, I was like, I, I, I would tell her, I really, really, really like you. Like, are you getting what I'm saying here? And then that day came where I hit my knee and I gave her the ring. And I said, I love you. I'll never forget that moment. And 10,000 times since then, I love you. I love you. Parents to kids say these words. I love you. Don't give this excuse of, well, in our family, we really don't communicate in those ways. Oh, hogwash. 
Time to start. Say it. Say it. Kids to parents, I love you. Man, I got a text from Ethan the other day. We were talking about this, that, and the other, and he just finished with, I love you, Dad. Boom! Made my day. I love that. These are powerful words. Think of the impact that it is on the rebel and the hater to have God come and meet you with his love and say to your soul, I love you. Our inclination is to protest. Oh, no, you, yeah, you can't. You can't love me. There's no way. No way. What do you see in me that would cause you to say that? And his answer is, absolutely nothing. And I love you. The ongoing demonstration of God's love Look at the tense of Romans 5.8. God shows. God shows. This is an active and ongoing. Present tense, ongoing. God shows his love. Or another word for New American Standard, demonstrates. It doesn't say this. God has shown. Or God demonstrated. It, it says he demonstrates his love. He shows it. In an ongoing way. Oh, how do we make sense of this? How does this happen? Well, this is, this is how it happens. 2,000 plus years ago, Jesus accomplished the work. It was a historical event. It was a fact. It happened. He loved you there. But God shows his love in that at the appointed time in your life, he showed his love to you in Christ, as we read recently here in, in verse, uh, what was it, verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's how he shows it. He shows, and he keeps showing it. Day after day after day. He shows it. Don't miss the connection. It is in Christ, and it's in his death. His atoning sacrifice. If you ever think that sin is no big deal, look at the cross. This is the way his love is most set on display. Your sin is such a big deal to God that he sees his love for you as most on display in addressing your sin. Sometimes people will talk about the love of God and downplay his forgiveness, and the seriousness of sin. That is the denial of his love, friends. God's love is not just warm fuzzies that he just sets upon every single thing everywhere, just, just heart, 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 heart. No. His love is, I poured my wrath on my son instead of you. I love you. And I have brought to you forgiveness that you don't deserve. I love you. I have taken your sin and I have buried it in the tomb and it is there, it is gone. I have removed it as far as the east is from the west. I love you. You're mine and you're forgiven. Sometimes people will talk about the forgiveness of God, but in a mechanical way. 
this is what bugs me sometimes with theology is if you get into theology and you're all, you just see the connection of the dots and how it all comes together and you don't feel the heart of God. You've missed the whole point of theology. Theology should call us into the mind-blowing reality of his love, his heart. Not just raw mechanical movements. It is a heart of love. And it shows itself in the work of Christ. So when we proclaim the gospel, friends, we talk about the love of God. Yes, we do. And we talk about the atoning sacrifice for sin that has accomplished forgiveness for sinners like you and me. It's the love of God. We love because he first loved us. I love how John puts this. I was thinking about this love. And I asked the question, when did it begin? When did God first love us? We love because he first loved us. That's the question I want to build this out a little bit. So come with me just briefly here. It's a little side rabbit trail to run. When did God say, I love you to you first. This is going to blow your mind. Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even his, as He chose us in Christ, in Him, before the foundation of the world. Okay, there's a cue. God... Look, we'll keep reading, that, that we should be holy and blameless in Him. That's His goal. The goal of our election is holiness. And then it says this, in love. There's our word, in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ according to the purpose of His will and to the praise of His glorious grace. When did that happen, friends? He said, I love you before He said, let there be light. Wow. That, that's amazing. Let's take it one step farther. Okay, Let's go to Revelation 13. There's this beast that comes. It's the first beast in Revelation 13. And it opens its mouth and utters blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and, and his dwelling. That is, those who dwell in heaven. And it was also allowed, key word here, note that. Don't ever think that Satan is God's equal. Satan is a dog on a leash in the hand of God. It was allowed to this beast by the sovereign God over all things to make war on the saints. God sovereignly allowed that, this, this horrific beast, to make war on the saints and to conquer them. That would be to kill them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Whoa. Hold on. All who dwell on the earth will worship this beast. Everyone Except this, listen to this. Everyone whose name has not been written, when? Before the foundation of the world. Where was it written? In the book of life, 
of the Lamb is Christ, who was slain. So just come with me now. You could sit here and read that verse for 10 minutes and just continue to have your mind blown. There is a book, a spiritual book that exists in the heavenly places. And, 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 And in God's presence, this book existed in eternity past and 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 long long in eternity past there was there were names this is this is so important to see this is not just some ambiguous group i'm talking about actual names of actual people and those names were written in this book and the name of the book is this is the book of life of the lamb who was slain. Do you think that the plan of redemption is anything but plan A? This is exactly his plan. Long before let there be light ever was spoken by the Son of God was the ordained purpose and plan and the names of all his elect logged in this book and as he writes these words your name christian he's writing i love you i love you i set my love my covenant love my invincible unbreakable and certain love upon you That's amazing. You think he doesn't know your sin? He he sees all of time like this. He knows every single sin you have ever or will ever commit. It's all in view. And he wrote your name way back there and said, I love you. I love you. Which is why it's right In Jeremiah, that he says it this way, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. And the context, he's referring to Israel, but this certainly refers in a larger way to the covenant love of God. His love set upon his chosen is a love that is invincible and certain and true, and it is undeserved. We love him because he first loved us. Don't ever reverse that order. You get things all backwards. Oh, of course God loves me because I, I, I love him. No, wrong. You love him because in eternity past, he wrote your name in the book of life of the lamb that was slain. And at the appointed time, he sent that lamb to accomplish that salvation. And at the appointed time, he opened your eyes to see that lamb in glory. And he stirred your heart to life. And you ran to him with all your joy and might, confessing your sin and trusting him as Savior. The gospel. Bask in that, believer. Bask in that. It is a certain salvation. Let's continue on into verses 9 and 10. A certain salvation. 
Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Paul has this this awareness of our current position. We stand in grace. We are justified already. We are declared righteous. This has been accomplished. And what is coming, this outpouring of wrath that is just and and right and will be uh, the, the right application of God's retribution poured on the face of this earth, that is coming. The wrath is being revealed. But for those who stand in his grace, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. You have been and you shall be. Note the, note the words here. We have been justified. Much more shall we be saved. Saved by Christ from the wrath of the Father. Wow. Now don't ever hit the Father against the Son. Sometimes people read these verses in isolation and they think somehow that, that Christ is the one who's for us and the Father is the one who just wants to destroy us, just burn us with fire and zap the lightning from heaven. That is not what is in view here. It is the Father who initiated the whole plan. The Son comes in obedience to the will of the Father. This is the Father's great love it's talked about. And all of them in unity. Our salvation is a Trinitarian accomplishment and a Trinitarian glory. We have been declared righteous, and we shall be kept and protected. We stand secure in this love, Christian. We fear no wrath. It's so important to to know this. As a believer in Christ, my sins have been forgiven. I am am not anymore under the, the wrath of God. He doesn't look upon me with with fearsome anger and hostility as he once did before I was saved. He looks upon us now as sons and daughters. Beloved. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, here's the third, while we were Note this, while we were enemies, here's a build out on what it means uh, in the the first part to be weak and then sinners. Look Look at these all together. While we were weak, Christ died. Love. While we were sinners, same thing, build out, a little more specific, Christ died. And then the third here, while we were enemies, Christ died. That's love. That's love. Christ absorbed our sin in full. And we have been given his righteousness. Amazing. He says in here and now that we are reconciled to God. Through the work of Christ, through the finished work of Christ, there has been made a way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right? So, 
now there is a way that we can be restored to the Father. We are brought back and reconciled to God. This word is beautiful. It's, it's a, a restoration of friendly relationship. It's peace in the place of hostility. The reestablishment of a broken relationship. <clears throat> Reconciliation. One of my great joys in pastoral ministry is watching this happen among God's people. Sometimes we get our toes stepped on. Sometimes we, we bristle. Things get a little sideways. And the gospel is made a way for God's people to love one another, to forgive one another. As we've been forgiven, so we also are called to forgive. And, and I love watching this take place. I saw it just, just a few weeks ago. Two brothers were kind of struggling, and, 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 uh, and we worked together three of us in my office. You know what happened? We finished with hugs. And then I saw these guys on Sunday. Big hug. Like run across the room kind of hug. I see you. I'm coming. Boom. Gospel. Reconciliation. That's what we have with God. God. He loves you. He's for you, not against you. He delights in you. He is indeed reconciled through Christ with you and we with him. We have peace with God. It goes back to where we started this chapter. Peace with God is what we have. And think of Colossians 1.20. Through him, through the, the Son, to reconcile to himself, the Father, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Christ's cross. How was the peace accomplished? What is the, the pathway for reconciliation? The blood of Jesus. That's what was required. God has given us through Jesus Christ a love that we don't deserve. I mean, this list could go on and on and on. But think of this. We have a love that we don't deserve. We, we have a love that is warm and intimate. It's not a standoffish like, okay, fine, I, I forgive you. Just stay away from me. We're good. No, really, we're good. Couples in your marriages, forgive and reconcile like God has forgiven and reconciled you. Don't just give lip service. Give your heart. Let it go. Release the hostility. It is a warm and intimate love. He loves you. He doesn't grow weary of you. He's not going to leave you or forsake you. This love doesn't fade or fail. It's not like he just saves you and he's like, oh, this is so great, this is so great, and then like the next day he's on to something else. Oh, okay. oh yeah, you're good. I'm going over here. No, that's not what it is with God. He is set upon you in love. He delights over you with singing, we read in the Old Testament. What an amazing thing. Us. Forgiven sinners. 
He's not going to leave or forsake. Oh, how many in this life have experienced that? On the wedding day, it seems all great. And then real life hits. And there goes the spouse out the door. Gone. Not with God. He's not like that. Through thick and thin, the vow stands. I will never leave you or forsake you. That is the echo of the vow that we are called to live out in our vow keeping to one another. It is a love that doesn't fade or fail. It is a a love that is active and ongoing. It's not passive. It's active. He is working for your good. Romans 8.28, it's not just some some verse that we quote, you know, when when things are tough. No, think of this. God is working all things together for your good. That's an active love. He is at work, even the hard things, even the sin, even the, the, the catastrophes and the moments and the weird things. that ha- He's working everything together for your good as his child. And it's a love that will last for all of eternity. <laughs> he doesn't quit on us. You know, I feel like by and large, Hollywood has pretty much given up on actual good love stories. You see this? When was the last time, honestly, <laughs> when was the last time that Hollywood made a real, decent, true love story and they lived happily ever after? They've given up. They've given up. The Christian believes the love story because we experience it every day. It is true, and we will. (laughs) We will live happily ever after. The love story the world is so desperate to hear, we experience every morning we wake up. Why do we make evangelism so hard? Really, it's not. Tell them about his love. Tell them about the love that they're dying to find everywhere else they look in the dark. And you have it. And you're basking in it day after day. Just, just share it. Tell them. Hmm. Now, verse 11, the joy of reconciliation. I'll just close with this. There's a joy that comes in the realization of reconciliation. More than that, or in addition to that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I just love this first bit. We also rejoice in God. You see that? Now, it's, yes, it's through the Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. But we come to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. We come to God. And we rejoice in Him. We rejoice in Him. I was struck by this. There's three of these in this chapter. 
Verse 2, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That is what is to come. Largely, that is something that we anticipate coming toward us as, as, as the end times unfold. And while we wait for that, the second comes in verse 3, we rejoice in our suffering. So there's a, there's a joy that we can have even now, even when it hurts. He loves us. He's working for our good. He is in this. He is making us holy even when we're in the fire. And we also rejoice in God. And that's today. That, that's, we, we get Him right now in part and someday face to face. Forever. We have now received reconciliation. This is not something that is, that is held out here like a carrot. It's coming. It's coming. Just, you just have to be good enough you have to try to perform enough. No. That's the, the, the wastings of religion. We have this as a gift by faith in Christ. This is what we have today, Christians. Through Jesus Christ, we become friends of God. Like Abraham. It's called a friend of God. Through Jesus Christ, we become children of God, adopted into his family. Through Jesus Christ, we are his beloved, his treasured possession, and forever. It's forever. I go back to this. Sometimes Christians struggle with assurance, the confidence that, that they're okay with God. That, that come what may, that, that he holds them no matter what. And I would just say this, trust the promises of God. Cling to him. His love is not something that he promises and then pulls out from under your feet. He is a God who is faithful to his word. Cling to him and delight in his love. So a response this morning, just a couple things. First of all, the question has to be asked, do you know this love? Are you here? And if you're honest, you're saying, no, I don't, I, I don't believe God loves me. I, I have not received that love in Christ. I haven't, I haven't beheld the face of my Savior paying for my sins and said, I trust you. Friend, if you're here today and you have yet to experience this love, then today's the day, right? To, like, today's the day. This is the day for you to come to Jesus Christ and lay it all down. Lay it all down. You can't be good enough. You can't. That's not how it works. Only Christ was good enough. And his work is finished. He accomplished all that is necessary. All you need to do is trust him. Just come and trust. Lay down all your sins. Turn and repent and, and, and just rely upon his finished work. Receive his love. Open your heart and receive it. Even as I say these words, I'm praying, oh God, do do what we can't. Do what I can't. Open our hearts. For those who believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, 
just want to paint the picture of my little chihuahua laying in the sun. Okay? There are things that we are called to do, but today I just want to encourage you, bask in this. Just bask in His love. Soak it up. Dane Ortland, at the very end of his book, Gentle and Lowly, he says, I could give you a list of all kinds of things to do, but that would deny the whole point, right? He said, take, for example, an Eskimo who receives an all-expense-paid trip to a warm and sunny location. And he goes there, and he checks into his room, and then he goes out on the balcony, and he's like, okay, now how do I enter into this? Really? You don't have to do that. I'll tell you what you do. If you're the Eskimo and you've been living in the cold, you come into the warmth of the sun and you slide that balcony door open and you bask in it and receive it. Rejoice. He loves you. He loves you. With an everlasting love. Let's pray. Father, we delight in your love as those who are very keenly aware that we don't deserve it. That's what makes it amazing to us. That's what makes it so overwhelming is not only that we don't deserve it, but, but oh, much the opposite. You have accomplished this love through great cost. The sacrifice of your only son who came and lived a life that we have never lived and then laid his life down willingly so on an instrument of torture to experience your wrath and to bleed and die in our place. It is what we deserve as sinners. But Father, we see your love in this, that your Son would die for us. We are not righteous and we are not good. And even still, you love us. Oh, what love this is. Be glorified, we pray, as we bask in your love. Be honored and delighted as we delight and honor you. Oh, Father, be glorified as we show this love to a world that needs it. And help us to simplify evangelism and just tell them about the good news of your love, of what you've done to show your love, to save sinners like us. Father, I pray that your church would be known increasingly here at Good Shepherd, that we would be known more and more as a people who love like you love. Father, we're delighted to know you as Father and to call you Jesus, our King and Comforter, Holy Spirit. We delight in your presence here right now in this place with us. We can't wait to spend forever with you, basking in your love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.